This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. First of all, welcome to the garden. <laughs> it's lovely to be here. <laughs> it is, and it's, isn't it great for a multitude of reasons, be able to reconnect? Yeah. You know, because what I felt definitely over the whole lockdown period was... There was people with whom I would have been socialising or working or just meeting on the street or whatever. And we, we lost all of that for so long. It was a, a real part of our connections with so many people. And I, I really hated that. But for you, I'm going to go back first to pre-COVID times. And Years life. ago, back off in the <laughs> distant past. So long ago. <laughs> long ago. Shan Van. No, seriously, like... For you, working as a composer, conductor and musician in Cork, the kind of work you do is both small scale and large scale. Is Cork a good place for that kind of work? Um, like Cork is both brilliant and then really frustrating and then, you know, brilliant. And then because of the fact that it is the size that it is, it means that you can do things that you wouldn't be able to do in other places. It means that the kind of artists that are here and that are working here and whatever are more versatile. And because you, in order to make a living here, you have to do multiple things. So most people here kind of think outside the box about how to solve problems in terms of making things. And so that's why we were able to do big stuff like, you know, the Pagliacci and Faust and all of those kind of things in that kind of way and you know um, but equally it's kind of frustrating because it's hard to build and it's hard to build sustainably and in a way that like you know so it does feel like every time you're making a new project you're kind of starting from scratch again um, which is kind of hard um, and every time we've tried to build you know the wind changes in, in in Dublin or in the Arts Council or in government or whatever and you know we're kind of we're back to square one you know Um so that kind of hap- has happened multiple, multiple times. Like I suppose each time there seems to be a kind of five to seven year cycle of, be- of building up things and then, you know, it's out of fashion or it moves or whatever and then suddenly all of the thing that we've built is kind of gone and we start again. And, you know, that's kind of happened on every kind of now, There's thing, a kind know? of an adaptability <clears throat> in that, you know, the kind of um, versatility that you bring with a panoply of skills and all that sort of stuff. But there's also, you know, that takes its toll on you as a creator as well. Does it ever get dispiriting? Yeah, it does. And it has done. And like, particularly when things crumble or you see things, you've made something and then, you know, like you're turned down funding for the following year after, mm, you know, yeah. like particularly after some of the things and you're kind of going, OK, it's sold out and it did five star reviews and everything. And it had like, you know, everybody's all gushing about everything. And you're kind of going like, what more could we have done? And but we're just you know so it's somebody else's turn or somebody you know, um, 
it's been quite an interesting thing actually in terms of the relationship with the Arts Council and stuff in the last year and that they, because they've had a big increase in funding to try and help everybody else um, like that kind of thing has changed it's, it's kind of weird you know it's um, a different landscape and that, I think that's kind of exciting in one sense yeah but it's also really, really important. I, you said there a second ago, um, it's somebody else's turn. And I know that's something I've heard more than once from different people where, and I understand in, from central government there would be a need or a feeling that you should spread the funding out and share it around the country. But then it means if you can't have a guarantee of funding over time, it's hard to build something yeah. sustainable it, it become everything becomes very project based it's all project based yeah and it has been for like all the time yeah, yeah. Um, except for what you've been doing i suppose particularly in the cork opera house you know with the opera concert series i mean like, it is plainly obvious in that kind of work these are the seeds of a replanting of opera for the future you would well, don't tell anybody but yeah of course like that is the idea but every single one of those is an individual project that's the problem isn't and it? Yeah. the same with them um, with, with the work you know with the, with the projects in the everyman or the you know or um, things like the nightingale and touring it and all that mm-hmm. and the kind of um we were supposed we were just before the pandemic struck we were about to do um uh production of like it was called sea trilogy of kind of three operas that we were about that's to do right. and that was about to go on tour yes. And so I suppose in my in my head, I kind of see all of those things in, as connecting and trying to pull them together. Like I try and I kind of see a future where, like, there is a bit more joined up thinking and it is more sustainable. And there is a kind of a like there is a professional orchestra on the, that's that's on the regular thing as opposed to just for the projects. And you know that it means that people could more people can make an actual living out of performing here in this part of the world as opposed to living somewhere else in London or in Dublin yeah. or whatever and flying in for the gigs, you know, um, which is kind of what happens, you know, to a certain extent at the moment, apart from the people who are teaching, you know. And you um, see, there is that thing, teaching. Uh, and teaching is a fantastic profession, obviously, with my whole heart. Uh, I endorse it and enjoy it myself. But from a musician's point of view, when you are in a, a, that kind of, teaching mindset it, it does become all consuming it is Monday to Friday you're worrying about your students you're carrying through exams there's competitions or grades or whatever is going on and it consumes so much of you I, I think there's always a kind of a, a conflict a personal yeah. creative conflict for a lot of musicians who have to teach I think so too because like, of just simply yeah, paying the bills pay, pay the, uh, but it also means that when you are teaching in that way you can't then take on the big projects yeah exactly from, from basically like September through to the end of May Ooh. apart from maybe a thing that might randomly hit at the kind of midterm break or Easter holidays or something like that but yeah. you know taking on like making an opera is, is a kind of a a much bigger commitment um, so it becomes just hard you know um, for people to, to multi to, to do those things when it's um when it's with a teaching, a and that's teaching when thing, you have kind of somebody who's there, visible, like a singer or a musician or a violin player or a cellist or whatever. But you also have, you know, this life of as a composer, and a, a large part of your work as a composer is staring into the distance. You know, <laughs> walking, thinking. That's not. That's never been how it works for me at all. Is it not? No, not at all. So. Um, I imagine you dreaming, John. And no, I, I've, all, I've you... always needed um, a deadline and knowledge of who <laughs> is going to perform it and when and how. That's the okay. only way it gets written. I need a gun to my head. Um, so like, my whole image the idea, of you is changing extremely. Yeah, like pitch the idea to the, like like. <laughs> there's a handful of things that are the opposite, and actually the um, things like the lullaby and stuff like that mm. um, are 
a bit different because of the circumstance. But like all of the other things, including the operas and everything, I've always had like specifically who, like what singer I'm writing for in my head, and I'm okay. knowing that we're doing like for um, for most things, we've had a kind of a, a date of like a, a workshop week or a concert performance or some kind of a you know. Um, and for a lot of the other things that I've written, it's like, you know, for a film or a theatre show or, you know, and there's a deadline and there's, you know, I know who the people are. And so there's the kind of imaginary part of it, knowing, you know, like, what if I wrote a thing for, you know, Alex Becku to play on the Marimba yes. or, you know, what if I wrote a thing for, so there's that kind of the what if, but until he's booked and the deadline is there, then there's not a note written on the page. Like, I was you just know? going to say, yeah, what happens in that interim period, that little pocket of time between the what if that dawns on you and the writing on a page um i would so part of me would say nothing but actually a lot is happening in the subconscious of it i think and there's a lot of kind of um i suppose i'm kind of thinking about what i want the thing to make people feel mm -hmm. and what i want it to make me feel and um the kind of colors and things like that so there's no yeah. like See, that so there's nothing written down but there's a lot of work going on in this and actually it's that thing of like like procrastination can be work you know um and i'm like <gasps> meet your sister <laughs> yeah, like but... there's a lot of solving in the <laughs> thing like even when you're procrastinating writing an email like there's a lot being solved in your subconscious of how to word it and how to say and what exactly you want to say you know um and i am quite bad at procrastinating and try, you know like i am very you know um at certain things like certain things need like when other people need answers and other things, then then it's important to move those things through. Okay, so you work but, well to a deadline, but yeah, yeah, you haven't completely erased my image of you reclining on a chaise long, feeling all the big emotions and and. Well, <laughs> and one of the things that I found that um like previously was like on some of the bigger projects, like for example, um, when we did Lilith, you know, the mm. song cycle for Karen and um when we were working on uh, the Deirdre opera and, and Nightingale was another one. We, we, myself and Aideen, who was writing like words with me, like booked. Uh, so, for example, we did three weeks in Berlin to write um, Deirdre and we booked uh, an apartment with a piano and um, went to see loads of other like concerts and operas and theatre and all mm -hmm. sorts of things. Um, we wrote Lilith in, in Athens and again, it was an Airbnb with a piano and like it's trying to find a place that's, you know, really cheap and that has a piano and that is a is another way of doing the deadline of you know we have like five days here and let's write and then then it's kind of like you can um work all day and all night in that kind of way because it's like this really charged height you know um and you're in this kind of um place it's much harder to do it at home like it's much harder to i i, I don't have i suppose my house is tiny and there's no space so there's no like separate place to go and work so I, it, by doing it that way it means that there's a kind of a like while there might be sketches or things in advance or, or kind of like architectural ideas of it like going and then like pouring your 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 like working really hard for a week or two weeks or something like that and then you get like you know three quarters of it done in that time um, I find it interesting and you've mentioned a couple of people there like Aideen obviously Aideen O'Donoghue yeah. uh, your partner and obviously Karen been Karen Underwood, Karen Underwood yeah, yeah. for whom specifically Lilith was created as well. I find it interesting that you wrote Deirdre of the Sorrows in Germany and Lilith in the heat of Athens. And I wonder what difference things like climate and light and temperature. I think loads of things. Like, parts, yeah. Like I think, and in, and in each of those places, the piano that happened to be in the room, yes. the kind of like 
the other things that we saw. So in Germany, what was really cool was being able to, like it was the first time in Berlin and like we went to three concerts with the Berlin Philharmonic and we went to like a whole lot of operas and, you know, so it kind of allowed us to be making, like we were bringing our Irish thing, but it brought, yeah. we were able to kind of like connect to a more, to a European thing as well and to a kind of a big mythology and not, exactly. and not scared of scale because, you know, and we'll work out how to stage it later, you know, um, so that was kind of interesting. I suppose the Lilith thing was very interesting in the um, in Athens with all the kind of um, like when we were dealing with this ancient thing um, and like fun, silly musical theater songs and, and and pop songs and you know, but dealing with a really really serious topic and mm-hmm. like Lilith is Adam's first wife and there's all this kind of biblical stuff and um, Jewish mythology around it and all those kind of things but to be surrounded by all these ancient ruins and exactly. you know, that was kind of fun and interesting. Um, I think that added to it in some sort of way you know um and it's interesting and i know i'm hopping around loads of things here now but we'll say deirdre and how you felt that resonance with the big expanse of older folk tales and that sort of thing in europe as well as well as the enormity of through millennia of time the story of of lilith um I, i i think those have international resonance and connection I've often, you know, said to Karen Underwood that Lilith, my God, if she doesn't tour, Lilith. In well, the we States. were kind of hoping to, and again, oh. like that was another, um, like we, we were l- looking at trying to put together a tour in the um, in the autumn of 2020. Um, so that's all on pause until we can actually have venues that it suits, because it is like you know, 50 or 100 people crammed into a little club kind of type style of gig. You know, um, it'll be a while before we can do that again. Oh, but no. but equally, what you've written and created together with Aideen in that, as performed by Karen, she will conquer. It's America brilliant. Well, it. one, one, one of the uh, great things about the um, about the pandemic, well, not not much, but you know, the um, <laughs> one of the good things that happened was. Um, was it October um, in 2020? Um, we actually did a live performance of Lilith on, on the Opera House stage and filmed it. And so it's kind of mad because it's because it's a kind of a, this small project that is like designed for like places with an audience of 50 or 100, like I said, in a club. Being able to actually do it on the on the Opera House stage with like you know loads of cameras and you know brilliant sound and lights and all that kind of thing. And you know, so there's a film of that up online. And you know, like we wouldn't have been able to make that version of it because. It would never have been the type of show that would be, you know, that would sell a thousand seats for the Opera House, you know? I, well, I started off probably not really wanting to kind of talk about COVID-related stuff for the moment, but it has kind of crept in as it has a tendency to do, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. We can't necessarily go pre and post. It does now permeate a lot of what we're talking about or, or influence things. But I suppose I, I would like to talk to you about what happened to you initially because the lullaby for a city which came out of it afterwards was directly as a result of coming through that period and you were talking earlier on about how you worked towards a deadline you worked towards a project and like these were all literally amputated and i i don't mean they were cancelled i mean it was like an amputation yeah of work soul spirit targets connections everything and i was wondering did it immediately cease composition for you? I mean, like, did what kind of a reaction did you have? Did you throw yourself into composition, or was it like no, I can't no. even listen to music? Well, for so 
at the very so at the start of the thing, um, we were two weeks away from starting rehearsals for that opera tour for C Trilogy. Yeah. So um, and that was a, a short opera that I had written, uh, um, a medium-sized opera that um, Irene Buckley had written, and um, Riders of the Sea by Vaughan Williams, the um, you know based on the Sing play. And so it was a great cast and uh, you know an orchestra and all, and we had three different directors and three different designers and choreographers and you know it's this massive kind of team of all sorts of different people I'm coming so together excited and about making really unusual course, yeah. things yeah. yeah um and touring um like we were going to to um like to Wexford Opera House and to the Civic in Tala and to you know um in Limerick I think or well, no it was Galway I can't remember um and so we were two weeks away from that so obviously like we were getting ready you know and we were you know the first kind of chats with Naomi and the Everyman and, and, and Julie at the time was kind of like yeah we might have to postpone the first week of rehearsals you know and um, oh we should be grand like it was only going to be a three week lockdown and all that kind of thing yeah. but bit by bit so that disappeared um I was working on the um, big, uh, like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the big summer show in the, yes. in, in the opera house, um, which would have been like that was three or four months' work <laughs> of that, you know, and that was all summer. Um, we were supposed to be doing uh, an opera concert of uh, Gilbert and Sullivan in June. Um, there was, and then uh, there, then the third, there was a, also a, a Verdi opera in. Um, Travatore in like October or something like that and bit by bit like each thing just disappeared and disappeared and disappeared um, and so for a while there was a bit of kind of disbelief and you know all of that kind of thing and, and a bit of grief I suppose for each of those things like all of those projects take so long like it's two years to try and make a thing you know um, and the investment of all of that it was really cool that when we did the with the C trilogy that um, the Arts Council um, like gave the theatre like told us to like just pay the artists so everybody got paid the full fee even though we didn't get to make the work so that was a great thing in the in the initial stages when when nobody knew what the financial situation would ever of everything would be um and then when the pup payment thing came in that was an absolute lifesaver like Mm -hmm. you know the the stress before we knew what that was or we knew you know whether we'd qualify and all that kind of stuff the stress of that was you know like literally having no money and you know and not knowing how to do any of that, um, that was very hard. But then this came in, and that was like, okay, that's a kind of a, you know, it's quite interesting to see the state stepping in like that, you know, for all of the. Now, kind of, do you know I'm going to yeah. step in because we've been recording outside, and while we're under shelter, it's getting wet now. <laughs> let's let's move into the kitchen. Cool. Come on. Okay, so we've moved into the kitchen. <laughs> it's grand. <laughs> And I'm so, sure it's good yeah. that the rain will stop now in two seconds, guaranteed, but that's the way. Well, I guess in, in one sense, though, like that's a microcosm in 20 seconds of the unpredictable nature of what happened. I, uh, you know, it was a case of, oh, we're planning something and oh, now it's changed. So there you were. Yeah, so, so like uh, so after the initial after the initial kind of um, grief, I suppose, or mm. weird kind of like dealing with everything and cancelling everything and all that kind of stuff and suddenly being faced with like, you know, having all of this time in our hands and we're kind of you know in lockdown in this tiny little house in the middle of the city and you know the city starts to look like some kind of zombie apocalypse movie um um, like the summer was quite an interesting thing then because like for everybody there was a bit of waking up and a bit of flexing and a bit of things and um you know there wasn't any there was no kind of performances or anything like that but at least it was talking and um like one of the kind of key people at that point um, was Lorraine from Midsummer, um, yes. who like met a lot of artists and sat down with a lot of people and go and kind of just talked about well, what can we do and what do you need and what you know, 
So she kind of had this idea about bringing an orchestra or bringing like a small little orchestra into a community or into a thing. And there, or there's some kind of idea of that. And there was, I had some kind of idea about a lullaby or she had an idea of, you know, there was a cup of coffee about that and it was just planted as a seed. We didn't know. Um, and then at the same time as well, I had an idea for um, a string quartet um, with an actor. So basically the kind of around that time, then it became a lot of work on filling out arts council applications and city council applications and also for all sorts of projects and literally like every every different type of application new application we threw something in a diff- all different combinations of people of making stuff for, for you know be it opera things or trying to do like it was very hard because for example with the C trilogy because we paid the people it can now not happen again because it was funded and it, you know so it didn't ha- so it's oh. kind of but we did apply for at different times with different kind of um you know completion money things or new versions of it or a recording of it or all that but th- so those kind of things got turned down um you know and, and they can see that as well because it, there's also all these new ideas and that was an old idea from the before times and yes. you know so all well, of that having said that it's a timeless <clears throat> idea and it yeah. still should happen but it's it's something you wouldn't well it's something i would never have thought of that because it received funding under one guise it can never be funded that way again. Yeah. It has to be applied for under a different... It kind avenue. of, yeah. And, and there's not that many ways, there's not that many avenues for, you know, for, for projects there of aren't. that size. Like, and know. it's exhausting. And talk to anybody who's ever tried to apply for funding for anything. <laughs> the paperwork is so stressful and not always fruitful. And it takes weeks of people's lives and effort to go over it. So, suppose, but at least it was weird because that was at least a creative thing to do. Like when the only creative thing in your life is filling up forms, and again there was there was kind of other moments then of like um light like I said doing the recording of Lilith, um doing the Christmas concert in the opera house was really cool, um where it was the first time the orchestra got together since the previous February and again and and um and hasn't been since as well like you know um but to have like socially distanced. 25 players like we took out all of the seats in the opera house to be able to build the stage the whole way out and you know and to make a kind of an hour-long Christmas concert and it was a massive amount of work by all the people but actually it was so moving to play together in that kind of way we kind of hopped there though because we we had a little jump where I was asking you before it started raining about you in lockdown and your relationship with music and your feelings about your work and music Okay, because yeah, yeah. you, you've you've jumped on there well, too when there things was, yeah, kicked yeah. off. But so come back to that. Well, it was kind of weird because things kicked off in a middle little bit, yeah. but then in January everything shut Stopped down again, again yeah. and that became even harder because you were given a little taste of what the thing was that you missed. Mm. So, like, there was a lot of the time where I, I I don't know, like I have a good life and I'm lucky. I have a roof over my head and I have people who love me and you know friends and you know good food and good like all of that kind of stuff so I'm really lucky but there was a long chunk of the time where I felt really kind of useless because the things that I do couldn't be done or aren't you know and there's that's really hard so there was a lot of time where like there was plenty of weeks where getting out of bed wasn't really a thing because there was nothing literally nothing to do because the best thing I could do for society at that point was just to stay indoors and not do anything so that was kind of really hard, but like I'm not in physical pain. I wasn't sick. I wasn't, you know, it was like, so it's kind of weird, you know. Um, I'm also very conscious that like while now across the last couple of months, I've had like 
projects and things and being able to start to make things again. Mm-hmm. I'm conscious of a, like a, a lot of my colleagues and you know friends who are who are musicians and actors and you know like creatives of all different types um, still haven't had a thing yet. Yeah, and that is re- like so they're still stuck in that place that I was stuck in and like there's no guarantee that in a month or two's two's time that I'm not back there again because you know um we don't know what the future of things are yet with that you know um it is true though because in recent weeks on the arts program it has been so thrilling and so exciting for us to be in a position where we are not only telling people about things that are happening online not only listing gigs that are streaming from various parts of cork but in recent weeks, the fact that we've been able to announce live events where people can attend, albeit in tiny numbers with tickets, has been fantastic. But the numbers of those gigs still don't replicate what happened before. Oh, and the numbers yeah, of yeah, musicians yeah. and people who can be employed at those gigs still doesn't anyway remotely. Yeah, it's, it's a fraction of things. But every yeah. one of those things is like... Um, like I was really lucky. I did a gig with Karen like for the Everyman in the kind of outdoors there on um, Elizabeth Fort. And it was just so amazing like to do a live gig. And it was just me and Karen, but it was like, you know, it felt like, so there was a hundred people and they're all in pods and all that, but it, it felt like, you know, it could have been a stadium gig. Like, you know, know. like and kind of like the audience. sold out before I even went oh, to the website. Like, it, you know, and so they, they put a second date on, I think for the 22nd of August. Yeah. That was kind of just this amazing thing. And like even more so, like the first thing back was the lullaby. So that was a kind of a, because it was an orchestra of like, all these beautiful players and who are like my friends and who are, you know, that I haven't seen in a long time. And we made a, like a, we kind of rehearsed and made, made the recording of it first and then went out into the street with it and kind of um, like it, because of the nature and um, we weren't allowed to have gatherings, we were performing in very specific inner city places where just the people who live around were aware of it and um, could kind of come out and watch it. And so it was kind of beautiful because to a certain extent, in the good times back in, you know, um, you would never be doing a gig like that because it would be seen that there wasn't enough people coming to see it to justify it. Yes. So it's kind of weird, like, the connections with people who would have never come to a classical gig or a concert like that. Um, like, that was kind of beautiful, like, and to really see people connect to a piece of music like that and to, to musicians and to, you know... Um, and the musicians themselves and how we were like it was just weird because you're trying to rehearse as an orchestra but everybody has to sit at least like two meters from each other and the wind players are even further you know um like they're used to sitting on top of each other so they can really like listen and be like one you know where like 20 30 people 40 people can be one voice and it's much harder but actually that like people worked way more and the kind of investment from each of them as individuals went way further you um, also as a player when you're used to being in an orchestra, you're literally cheek by jowl. You know, you, if you're a fiddler, you want to make sure your bow oh, is crashing into the next desk. Like, yeah, like but you, you are that, used yeah. to being wrapped in the blanket of sound around you, yeah. two meters apart. You also have to communicate your part as well as receive. But before we talk about the actual recording of it, or rehearsing of it, or playing of it, I'm going to come back to the actual piece itself. Lullaby for a city. It's this beautiful what. 17, 17 minutes, minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it paints it paints such a beautiful picture if you know people have the time to sit and just be we're all in such a tear i think to pick up our handbags and put on the coats and get going again um, but i think we collectively need to deal 
as a society with a little bit of the trauma that's just happened to us. Mm. And this piece is such a beautiful, gorgeous outpouring of love for people. And Thank you. <laughs> uh, the, the journey that you, you bring people on through the sleep. Will, will I tell you what I hear in tell, it? Tell and me, then I'd yeah, love yeah, to hear. Yeah, yeah. So from a, a raw listener sitting down, um, I am asleep. And there's a nightmare. And within that nightmare then, there's all sorts of chaos. But then it's like a the voice of your mother singing to you a little, you know, childhood lullaby or something like that that's kind of quite soothing. And then there's other elements of life, like reminded me of, let's say, Foray's Pavan or something like that, like gentle, gentle dreamlike pieces mm. to connect the, the familiar within you know, a dream that's unpredictable. And, you know, so it, it carried me on that very soothing journey musically, which recognised a trauma, but comforted. And then there's a piece of, at the end, which was almost like holding your breath, that very, very light, gentle sleep before you wake. And the music was almost saying, come on, wake up, wake up. But the way you gently open your eyes as opposed to waking up with the shock of an alarm or something. And that's the journey I had. That's cool. Listening to it. What I love about music is that um, like I can have a version of a thing that inspires it and then I write it down and then people play it and everybody that plays it brings their own thing of what it feels or not feels or you know mm. and everybody listening can have their own uh, their own journey version whatever you know it can be whatever it is because it is pure music you know as opposed to music with words or you know um, so yeah it can be whatever it needs it, it, it wants to be like that you know um, I think things that were like for me that were important there's a feeling of um, like the oboe and the flute are kind of singing and using them as vocal things and it was kind of I suppose thinking about the fact that um, you know Kieran Moynihan and Kira Glashin and whatever would be playing them and the kind of beauty of the colour of their sound, so writing a kind of a mel- melodies that were simple and but that would kind of like intertwine with each other a little bit. So again, you had them specifically in mind. Kind of, yeah, like yeah. you know, and oh. and it, like if they couldn't have done it, there's other people who can play. You know, yeah. but it is really useful to me to know that Alex is going to be playing the you know Alex Peck who's going to be playing the um, the tubular bells or the timpani or the you know, and that I know that. Um, so I'll kind of write the dynamic markings one less because I know there's Alex <laughs> really, you know, who play with such beautiful enthusiasm and, you know, or like writing the harp part for Anne-Marie or, you know, um, I, I needed something to make me feel better. And I suppose Lorraine having planted that seed meant that if I wrote it, maybe there was a chance it might get performed in some sort of way. So at least, you know, there was that kind of um, thing with it. Mm-hmm. So there was still a kind of an imagination and a, not quite a deadline or not quite, a, you know, but... Uh, there was a version of yeah if I if I write it um it might happen and even in the writing of it it gave me a creative purpose and a thing to do at the time when there was literally nothing to do and it was only like boredom and like yeah just darkness and boredom and you know and the weather was terrible and all of that like so mm-hmm. you know and living right in the middle of the city centre there's no nature and there was no like there was just no out and no no getting away you know. So kind of an escape from the claustrophobia. And uh, so I needed something that would kind of, I suppose, the, like writing a melody or writing a thing that would kind of lull a bit. Like it's kind of in 9-8, which is kind of a slip jig thing underneath. But it's also kind of got that kind of um, 
back and forth of a kind of a rocking, you know, rocking a baby or and they like the two different kind of nightmare bits. Like one of them is all like felt like kind of the nightmare that you might have that's very direct as a kind of a child thing or, you know, that's all about the kind of the arrows and the kind of things piercing at you and stuff, you know, and, and like kind of just the kind of anxiety of it all. Yeah. Um, but the second kind of nightmare is more one of like, there's a note that just goes on forever. Yes. And then like, and the, but the bass drum is kind of coming in like a kind of a, like your heartbeat or something or something that, you know, and then the next note and the next note. And, and as the, like the, all the, the cellos, violas, violins, like start to kind of bit by bit gradually rise higher and higher and the intensity of that and at the same time the double bass has started really high in the middle of it and it's pulling down and so a thing that was kind of started out as kind of beautiful and fragile just gets stronger and stronger and unbearable like you know um, and it, it was just kind of that feeling of like oh I have free time or I have space or I have you know and then just like it gets more and more um, like it can be just uh, I get really oppressive or something like that and the kind of you know and then the break of that you know like that was I suppose my thought of it but it, like I said whatever th- that is then for a listener now it can be its own thing like it, it's you so know. you brought together then this group of musicians who created this small orchestra for the Midsummer Festival you travelled around kind of had pop-up orchestra if you like you couldn't yeah. advertise it so that people would come it was enclosed just to the spaces you would turn up to, to the residents yeah, who were four, four different, um, like, city centre, two south side, two north side, you know, inner city, like, mm. places that had a bit of a natural acoustic, that had a, you know, mm. so that the sound would, like, travel when, we're, you know, we're not bringing a big PA or anything like that, you know. And and what was it like? It was so... The reaction um, of... The reactions, like, all, like, really interesting and beautiful and, like, on the video, actually, um... Uh, um yeah, Jed, Jed um, took a whole lot of really lovely um, photographs of the whole kind of process and all that. And so um, on the, so there's a, the video on YouTube of the kind of recording of it. And there's a whole slideshow of all the photos. So um, it kind of tells a really interesting story about it. And that you, you, know, you see us in the rehearsals and making it. And then you also see like different, all different kind of audience responses and a lot of different kind of people who probably, you know, wouldn't be, regular concert goers or you know and there was a real kind of openness to it and like we were like in every different place that we went to the people who we met were so warm and welcoming to us arriving in on their doorstep like kids and older people and you know families and all, all sorts of different kind of combinations and people like leaning out of their bedroom windows listening you know and like in um, one of the places, all of the parents had kind of got together so that the kids had a little picnic on the, you know, on a on a on a, on a kind of a blanket on the floor by the, you know, but so you all of those kind of things. Like, what childhood <clears throat> memories they will carry into adulthood? You know, when I look back at you know different things that I remember as a child, culturally or musically, mm-hmm. I flashbacks to things like Fish Matthew or piano exams or you know different, yeah, yeah, the, different yeah. kinds of things. Would you love to know what those kids will have? As well, you adults. just saw, like in some of the places, um, like the that. kids were helping us move stands and move, oh, you know, move yeah, instruments, like, and you know, amazing. but particularly like, the, I mean, Alex's like the percussion gear is always a fascination. So, like, you know, <laughs> to bang a drum and a thing, oh. and, you know, or like, you know, to be able to touch the harp and to be able to run your fingers to the strings, or you know, so there was kind of all of that, those interactions and that kind of thing as well, you know. 
um, and dealing with the weather like the first day when we did two performances it was the most glorious sunny day ever and the second day was kind of cloudy and you know so like the third performance that we did we we, we kind of could only do a kind of a a, a little chunk of it under a tent with a handful of players because there was no you know it was just too wet you know when it's all acoustic instruments and everything you know all of that like but even that was kind of special too in its own way you know when you played actually <coughs> abbreviated versions of it did you abbreviate the music yeah well, well we had to we could only do a bit that um and if you were choosing a bit which did you choose which element of it and why um i could only we could only choose the kind of tuney bit okay. of it because and, and again like you couldn't turn up and play a nightmare well well we, i mean it was kind of mad because all of the other like all the players were there it was yeah. just that we didn't have enough weatherproofing or you know in that first one yeah. to, that, of that day to kind of so the second performance that day we actually got another so we had a couple of like three gazebos that we kind of stuck together and all mm. that kind of stuff so we were able to do the whole thing um you know <gasps> the logistics it was all of that stuff but you know um, yeah like i mean look when you look back john <laughs> isn't it extraordinary what the last 18 months has has done in terms of all of that variety adaptability flexibility creativity the logistics of everything from multiple applications to multiple bodies looking for any couple of uh, euros worth of funding at all to the logistics of strapping multiple gazebos together so <laughs> you know so that the violins don't fill up with water or something i mean it's bonkers isn't it but, but that's what people like that's what People who make arty, arty yeah, things, that's what they, that's what we do. Like, yeah. you know, you're like, I suppose all the, all the years of, you know, you're doing a, a performance and somebody is sick on the day of the thing and you have to find somebody from the other part, you know, from London to fly in on the day. And like, you know, we're good at dealing with logistics and, yeah. you know, things changing and like, it's kind of in, like, we're also good at knowing what the rules are and then being able to make a thing within that rules, mm-hmm. whatever the rules are, you know, the frustrating time was when there were, when there was no rules or we weren't allowed to do anything, you know, like with the operas that we were doing for the opera house. And it was, you know, like a version of uh, Traviata and La Boheme and Cosi and, you know, four singers in a piano where the singers are, you know, particularly in, in, in um, Traviata and Boheme where like the soprano is dying of consumption or of whatever TB or, you know, and literally, uh, or a big massive love duet and everybody is two metres from everybody else. So we can still make it work and we can still tell the story. And I think it still worked as if, piece of theatre you know and it's all outdoors and they're you know like but they're like we if we know what the rules are then we can do that how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That summer program of concerts was just so exciting and so thrilling. And I, I know that a lot of people booked tickets specifically, but say maybe to attend it in the city jail where you had yeah. a performance or over on uh, the quay down by St. Mary's. Yeah, we're really in the garden up there. In yeah, the garden. Yeah. But outside on Emma Place, there were people who had, uh, like I had seen on the first day, specifically booked their tickets. But also you had the world and his wife who oh, happened to be going to The delivery drivers and the, yes. you know, the people with, with, um, with their bags of shopping coming home or, you know, yeah, all of it. On their way to cross the bridge. And I just thought it was extraordinary to, to witness not just what you were creating, but that moment of unexpected, unplanned, purely organic connection and how people were hungry for it yeah. and, and really captivated by it. And, and um, like us, like it was so amazing being, like in, a re- be, for you. being in a rehearsal room. Like, so we, were, we rehearsed on the Opera House stage so that we had a big, massive rehearsal room that we could be socially distant in, yeah. you know. So we were on the Opera House stage making this thing. And it was like you know, a skeleton crew, like, and just a handful of people and the four singers and us, you know, and like, you know, when this, when the singers start to sing and then like, it's just so like, but even you was there right in the middle of the moment of it, your back is to the audience pretty much for everything. Well, for all the gigs, like I was, um, my, my most useful thing, I was the page turner. So (laughs) so Connor was, Connor Palliser, um, was the orchestra on the piano. And because we were outdoors, like the wind was a factor and so you know somebody had to hold the book and um, hold the, the music stand and you know like for when the wind would like you know smack the pages across and so that, but that was actually a really cool thing to do and that you know being right in the middle of it and but you're right in the yeah. middle of it and so focused and so zoned in on what you're doing watching all the performance in front of you and timing and everything you, you couldn't possibly or were you actually aware of people who were stopping and sitting and gathering around or the delivery cyclists who were kind of going um, I, 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 could, I could see a bit it depended on the days when there was no wind then I had a, you know I was able to watch much yeah, more of the yeah, thing yeah. on the days when it was a bit windy and a bit you know then it was much more like you know um, like holding on to yeah. the, the, the book Binary. you know <laughs> but it's funny in almost almost everything you do unless you are actually being a pianist in a particular production but for all your work as a conductor and everything you know your your back is to the audience you you never get to see until that moment where you finally breathe at the end and and, and feel what happens when you turn around but it's 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 a strange thing yeah. you know all of the performers are there they're practically making eye contact with people in the front row and they're feeding off the energy in the audience and everything like that and you're back yeah I, like to a certain extent sometimes that feels kind of rude and um, I kind of think of it like in that thing, I'm, I'm just doing a, I had a brilliant um, conducting teacher, Alan Cutts, um, and he, 
used to talk about being the kind of um like the conduit through which like it just kind of passed through you so it's not about my ego or not about my like it's about just allowing the music to happen and and so whatever it needs at that moment so sometimes it's like you know queuing or directing traffic and sometimes it's kind of like you know shaping phrases and bringing things together and sometimes it's reminding people of things that we did in rehearsal just by a, a look or a glance or a, you know um and it's all of those different things at different times and I suppose even if I have my back to the audience, I'm really aware of the audience. You can hear the audience. You can hear the audience breathe. You can hear the person eating fucking crisps. Or, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. You, know, like, you can hear the, like, you know, just put the, like, put the sweets away. Like, you know, we're all in the same room. We can hear you. You're just there. Like, you know, or the person. It's one of like, my big bugbears. Oh, actually. totally. Like, and, and, and you can, we can also like hear the person making the comment about the thing, you know, even if it's a good one or bad one, because literally they are only a couple of meters away and they're in a building that's designed for carrying sound so you can kind of hear it so you pretend you don't hear anything or see anything and it's all you know but you can hear every comment that everybody makes and you can you know and I suppose like anything else then you kind of um, have to focus and like eliminate because like a theatre is a kind of a, a busy place the stage managers over on their desk behind you know they're calling and talking to the people on lights and sound and you know they're so there's a conversation going there and there's crew doing all sorts of other things and there's people need, need, needing to make entrances and exit and so as the conductor on the like you can see all of that but you kind of have to just block all that out and focus on the you know but that's kind of what the job is anyway in terms of like what you're focusing the attention of the, the players or the it's you know, funny you know. you know different times when there would be concerts in city hall or the opera house if there's a, a photographer who's been hired for the gig or whatever and i always find it fascinating looking at photographs after the fact that some of the photographs that people are most captivated by are the photographs of the conductor midstream you know because yeah. as an audience member you don't get to see that yeah and you when, when i suppose in the performance you're kind of like you can look. <laughs> like you, you go to strange places because, like, there's yeah. not really a filter. I'm not really aware of what I look like you because can't be. because I can't be. There's more things to do. So it's yeah. about communicating. It's about communicating through mm. your face and your body what it, the music or the, the the thing needs at that time. Mm-hmm. And so you're not really censoring yourself of like what you look like to be presentable. Um, so the other yeah. night I was watching. BBC Promise were doing a whole night of Mozart and I simultaneously, I had Twitter open because I'd been looking at Twitter beforehand and I'd forgotten the proms were on, saw somebody talking about it on Twitter, turned on the telly. But the conversation on Twitter was all about the conductor and the energy that he was bringing to the performance. It Mm. wasn't anything to do with the music. (laughs) You know, it wasn't at all to do with analysis of what Mozart was feeling or doing or how the orchestra were. It was literally about... The conductor, the whole thing was captivating people on screen. And I, I found it the most intriguing and curious uh, interaction of an, a listening, generally listening audience yeah. with what they were actually singing. Uh, you know, it was, it was funny because so many people are used to watching symphonic recordings at mm. the stage and used to sing their Yeah, yeah. Conductors. I suppose a lot of the, um, the stuff that's been streamed and, you know, like filmed and all that kind of stuff. Um, like even things like the Christmas concert and all that is yeah. from the opera house was much more um, like there's now cameras on me and stuff like that you yeah. know so you're watching it back kind of <laughs> a bit of a cringe going oh jeez you know the state of me isn't like, it you know, funny though like, I mean like the whole <clears throat> skill set for each theatre venue I remember Gillian Hennessy and Triscoll talking about this back in maybe May 2020 
when they were first talking about bringing cameras into Trisco. Mm. And she was saying, you know, we, we essentially have to suddenly become a TV studio. Yeah. And theatres did that. And venues and sound and tech teams really put out all the stops and, and did an amazing job. But for performers to suddenly be filmed, I think it brought a level of anxiety into some oh, it's, it's really, yeah, it, it, like, it's really a different kind of pressure Isn't as well. It? And if you know that you can do a second take, that's almost worse. Oh. Because then you're kind of a- analysing it as you're doing it and going... Is it like technically uh, perfect? Like, like, oh, like I made a little slip there in that bar. Um, is it worth going back to try and do it again, or will it will it ruin the feel or the you know? So then you're approaching it like a, a bit of a recording studio, but then all of that is on your like there's a camera in your face as well. So it's a very different kind of um, way of making music, you know. Um, but actually, really, kind of that that kind of intensity brings a, is kind of fun too. Like it brings a kind of a so. Really, where was your heart with that then? I mean, like. It, it's it's very hard not to get swept up into, can we do another take on that because da 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 da, or where you actually take a breath and give yourself the freedom and say this is a live performance captured I, flaws I think, and all. I think it's easier. It was easier for me as a conductor than as a performer. Mm. Um, on the ones that you know, because the conducting things, I am listening and aware in that way of what the whole is at the time. Um, whereas if I'm playing the piano or whatever, I'm really conscious of me as an individual and, you know, and I suppose as a conductor as well, I'm quite used to the fact that we have like, you know, three hours and with a 15 minute break and literally we cannot go over because we cannot afford to pay, you know, yes. and so being able to divide out the time and all, I'm used to that kind of stuff because that's how you rehearse and how you do, you know, everything anyway. Um, so like I'm making recordings and all that kind of stuff. It was part of the thing back in the day anyway, you know. Uh, so that's how you approach that um, and also there's that whole element as well of the magic of something that's live in the moment never to be repeated how long you let that sort of recording now up online in perpetuity yeah that's you know, kind of a strange thing I suppose yeah. it's a yeah. it's an interesting I think landscape we're in that sort of bridge I think at the moment between what we knew and a kind of a hybrid landscape that's emerging and you know, I think that's fantastic in terms of being able to have international reach or international cooperation. But, I mean, nothing replaces live. But I, 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 I think, think there's a lot to take Like, forward. I kind of think that there are certain things like, um, I think there are certain things in music that are really good as recordings. Mm-hmm. And particularly if the musicians are, are approaching it that way. Um, I think that theatre stuff and opera stuff is live. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, and I think, I, like, for me... I guess, Mad, you were asking earlier during the pandemic, like, I mean, I couldn't listen to a piece of music. I couldn't watch any streaming things. I couldn't, like, I was literally, like, it only made me sad. It made me sad because it was like a pale photocopy of it. Like, That's what I was you wondering, know, yeah. I couldn't, like, I couldn't. So I've been, like, I watch, I've watched every TV show. Like, I've, I've watched all of Netflix and the whole thing and all of that. Like, I've I think watched we've it all. the same like, about theatre as yeah. well, which is like, impossible. I like, yeah. I, I tried to watch a couple of, like, you know, streamed plays or things like that, you know. And actually, I, I did a couple of, like, worked on a couple of the, um, like, the Everyman live stream, you know, but they were an audio version of a thing, mm. which I, I, was a little bit easier. But even then, I found, I found it really hard. Yeah. Um, and it was great. Like, those things, I think, were really cool and brilliant because if even to keep employing actors and you know uh, like people but I found it really hard to listen to or like to do any of that stuff you know um it just made me sad and I wanted I I was better with the morning the thing not existing than having a kind of a fake version of it that's like but but is there a place for the imperfect 
in this new landscape. I mean, I know you see, for example, some people went gorging, like diving into the box of milk tray and every single night there was something on Zoom or uh, streaming, but I, I couldn't I couldn't sustain that. But at the same time, I can see how if somebody was in Donegal and said, I can't get to the West Cork Chamber Music Festival, but I can watch a streamed concert. I would hate to see us lose all of that kind of Yeah, I kind of think reach. that um, if it's, I think when it's music, like there's something really special about being in the room with other musicians mm. and or with the musicians. Air. And, you the know, air is actually yeah, different. The yeah. whole thing is different. So I wouldn't think, I don't think they're recording um, and, and streaming and all that is, is a replacement for that. But I think that you, like when it's, particularly when it's theatre and opera, um, like the, all those things are kind of the same to me anyway, like, you know, opera and theatre and, you know, stagey things. When there's a kind of a visual element and like costumes and lights and all that kind of stuff, that just doesn't, tra- like, the, because the lights that you use in film are very different to the lights that you use in the theatre. The, how you act on stage as an actor is different. Like the way that you deliver lines, if you're communicating to a big, like, you know, 600, 700 people in an auditorium is very different than how you work to a camera. And the kind of hybrid thing, like there's been some really interesting things have been made, but they kind of feel, um, like even some of the best, in the best in the world stuff, like some of the National Theatre Live stuff, um, like they did it, they put out a version of Amadeus, but I saw that production live and it was amazing. And then all it's all I saw when it was um, the film version of it was what was missing, because in the okay. theater it's all about what yeah. what your imagination creates, and on film it's literally about what's on the celluloid, like what's on the film, I like what's in the picture. And so, yeah. like, unless it's very literal in the filming way, it's very hard because your imagination isn't used to doing that. And like, so I find that all really, really difficult. It can jar. And there's no doubt about it. So, like, now that said, I found it very fun and interesting. In the past as well, like making promos and stuff for operas and, you know, <laughs> like cutting together a trailer or something. Like, that is really cool. But listen, it, but let's it, face it, John, you look fantastic on camera. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. Was that, I'll bring it on. Like. <laughs> there was that um, clip for the Midsummer Festival where you were, uh, was it Patrick's Hill, conducting away. And it was so dramatic and it was fantastic. And no, it was, it was, was Mount on... Um, <laughs> And, and Mount on um, on Friars Walk. Is that where yeah, it, yeah, was? it was? Oh, yeah, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was brilliant. That was Claire, uh, Claire Keogh took um, that film. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah. So here we are. We're almost at the end now of Summer 21. The Opera House Summer Series of Concerts has finished as such for the moment. And we are heading into an autumn where we're still hopeful of more indoor events. The landscape is still very unpredictable and still very unsure. Have you any of those famous deadlines in your book now yeah, to which um, you're well, working with certainty? We start rehearsals for um, Aideen O'Donoghue's play, um, Heart of a Dog, and that's due to be in the Everyman at the end of September and then in the Civic Intala as part of the Dublin Theatre Festival Fantastic. at the start of October. So it's kind of mad, like we're making a proper play, like, you know, with a brilliant cast and like a big set and costumes and like all of those kind of things. Um we're still there's still lots up in the air of how to do certain parts of it, but we're plowing ahead and like, like it's looking like it it'll be the kind of thing that for the everyman to actually reopen as an indoor thing. There's a big opera project maybe next year that's kind of in the works. That's kind of um, but like we're still work, even working out how to do all that is very tricky at the moment because all of the kind of institutions are quite stretched and you know and tired and broken and you know by the kind of um like by being pushed so hard over the last while you know 
so there is yeah there is definitely kind of things in the pipeline and kind of you know um there's a couple of more writing things and development things um there's the start of some new projects and things like that but that i don't know what they'll be yet are you um, good at multitasking like having close close that manuscript copy open up this manuscript copy and what do you do yeah to I, I, think, I, you, I think you have to be like i think i just learned how to do it because i yeah. had to um, okay and so yeah like there's always so even when you're in the middle of like you know, tech for a show that's opening and is all consuming, there's still the next gig or the next gig that's, you know, not as pressing, but still things need mm. to be done or, you know, or people looking for answers for things or, you know, um, and by the nature of life, like, like stuff just always happens together. Like you have months where there's literally nothing to do. And then there's other months where like all the gigs are on top of each other. So, you know, you try and like, you know, if and you're are, are learning you scores. Or... When, when it comes to all of that sort of stuff, do you, have you kind of a little creative chaos around you or are you very methodical and organized and um right angled about things i would say that the other artists in my life would say i'm quite <laughs> methodical okay. and i would say that the kind of producers in my life would say that i'm a chaos <laughs> so i'm probably somewhere in the middle of that um and it kind of depends on different things so sometimes it's hard to make a decision and I'm procrastinating making a decision, but often that's because I'm not sure what the, like I'm trying to feel out what the right decision mm. is. And that can be very hard for somebody who's a producer who just wants to know yes or no, like, you know, mm. um, and I'm stalling, but I'm stalling because I can't quite feel what that is. Like that's often the case in, in like casting, for example, or, you know, like if you're going this person or this, like if it's a choice between two or three actors or two or three singers for a role and you're kind of going, this person, you know, you just need to sit with that for a while. You do. So there's not a lot of, it's not like, it's not really work because it's kind of like happening, a lot of it is happening subconsciously and then like after a day or two when you're pressed, then you kind of know that you have to make a decision but it's, that feels like the right one because it's been mulling over in the background or something. That goes you know? back to what I was yeah. uh, joking you about earlier on, reclining on your chaise long when you were imagining all of these things. But like, do you, do you walk and think? Do you cook and think? Do you sit I, and think? Do you I cook to yeah, I walk and think. Um but I also um I cook and kind of try and not think, but that kind of, you know, it's weird like, you know, things like, you know, chopping onions or chopping, you know, things like that. Like I like cooking and that kind of thing is very um actually was one of the things that kept me vaguely sane like during the whole lockdown like mm. was, you know, cooking dinner every day was suddenly became you know like it got theater. more and more elaborate like theater, you know, yeah. you know like yeah it was theater every night every night at like you know half seven eight o'clock and suddenly here's the whole performance and um yeah so i think methodical in certain things so so there are certain things that need to be done methodically like for example if i'm conducting an opera in italian i need to go through every single word of the text and translate it directly so not a kind of a vague this sentence means this sentence, but literally this word means this word means this word. So that I know what the accent of the thing is. So that's a methodical thing that I have to, that I have to do for every single opera that I'm doing in every foreign language. I try and do a similar thing with the score in terms of learning, like as much as I can. They like trying to learn instrumental entries and like you know who's playing what and the kind of orchestration of every page and you know. So that's kind of methodical work. Um, but then once that's there and in the back of my head. In the rehearsal, I'm not really thinking about that at all, and that's kind of that. It's like that work has been done, and now it's about interpretation and feeling, and like so the technical work is done first, and then you know. Similarly, for example, like directing this play, like the technical work is involved in things like working out with the set designer, with, with like with Lisa, like what things that we actually need to tell the story, or what like so there's things that that it needs and we need to have, and then 
there's um, like so there's a lot of planning that needs to go into that. And what will we need on the first day of rehearsals? And what will we need on from the second week? And what will we need, you know? And what are the things that we're not sure yet that we'll need to make versions of that we can then cut or keep or you know? And um, so that stuff needs planning because other people need to work to make the thing to get it to the you know. Um, similarly with um, like if you're writing stuff there's methodical things in terms of like making all of the the parts or the, like the score on the part but the the instrumental parts that are going out to all the players to play from so the writing of the music on the page the punctuation of that the kind of that needs proper methodical thing because actually any kind of like the typos and stuff like that just gets wastes rehearsal time and so if there's a doubt about a note or a thing that's suddenly 10 minutes eaten and like rehearsal time is such so expensive and so gold that you need to have a a version of the thing where there's like no doubt. So, so I, I, I would, um, with some friends of mine, like I would work as a kind of, um, you know, people would t- show me a script, for example, so to proof. And I'm good at like punctuation and that kind of stuff because I suppose because that part of my mind and like, so it, it, it like, is that a full stop? Is that a, is that a comma there? Is that, do you mean that spelling there? You're like, and because if you're again in a rehearsal room and there's any doubt, it just eats up time and if the writer already knows um, so those things are methodical the planning of um who we need when and the times get like so working with the with producers on like you know making sure people are booked for exactly the, like that kind of stuff that's all methodical 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 but you're doing that so that you can then be in a room with people who are equally as prepared to then have fun and like, the scaffolding, the skeleton yeah, you're of it. Yeah, building the scaffolding of it's it. It's done. And, and, but you're, uh, like, I'm very much then trying not to have the creative part of it all scaffolded before we ever get to do it. Yeah. So, like, I'll have my ideas of how uh, an opera singer might sing a phrase or how, like, the flute might play a phrase like that or how um, the designer might imagine a table. But... I want to work in a place that's collaborative and like that each of those artists can bring their thoughts to it. You're not and precious? No, not at all actually. And once it's like once it's done and it's written on the page. Um And I don't mean precious in a critical way. Yeah. I mean like it's weird. I'd be precious about I'd, I'd be protective of like I'd be protective about what the thing needs to feel like. And I yeah. I and I suppose mostly I get to be kind of like the editor. Mm. But everybody can bring whatever those ideas are, and most like mostly the best idea isn't mine, and so I'll pick like I, but I can pick from all of those, and so there's a really lovely when you're working with a good team, that's a kind of a nice thing that you like the best idea can come from anybody, you know, um, and that's exciting, and it's exciting as a participant in it as well, whether it's a a singer or a musician who also feels they can come into a space. Well, that's I what you want because you've also built up that relationship over time with these uh, musicians that they they understand that. This is yeah, they can contribute in a way that, like, yeah. it's not just about me telling them what to do. Like, mm. um, I mean, that's sometimes that's needed and that's the right thing to do and great, you know. But, um, yeah, you do want to kind of, um, it is collaborative, like, all of these things, like orchestral stuff and um, theatre things. And, like, it's, it's beautifully collaborative. That's the joy of why doing it. And if you're going to go to all this effort to get these amazing artists to be in a room together, then use them, like, you know. Um, it's also kind of um, freed up my thinking in terms of dealing with other composers from like, so for example, you read about, so everybody is so precious about somebody like Mozart and like about, you know, he was like, like, which, and we would obsess about like tiny things, the length yeah. of a note. And I, I, I am just as guilty of it. It's all brilliant. <laughs> but then you kind of read like, you know, Mozart brings 
Don Giovanni to a different city and it's a different singer so he changes the key and he writes a new bit and he sticks a new like he's a working musician dealing with what he's got and so there is a kind of a thing if I'm coming to a thing that I've written and I wrote it a year ago I can't even remember why I did half the things I did and other people will find things in it that are like these connections that I don't know that like they might have been put there subconsciously I don't know but I don't remember putting those things in for example what exact speed should the thing be at well the thing that maybe is dictated by what room are we playing in and the acoustic of that and yeah, what's the you know who are the singers or the musicians and what's the like how big boomy the acoustic and all those other things and like if there was an amazing singer wanted to do a piece that I wrote and I'd written it in one key and it was just a little too high for them I would be like change the key like I would have no problem with that whereas we kind of approach some of the historical people in a much more kid gloves thing and I think most of those people were very practical, like and very, they were working musicians doing the thing. So I have a bit more freedom in how I approach um, like people in the canon or whatever, like that, you know, um, about stuff like that, you know, whether it's cutting things or adding things or, you know, what, or however, like shaping it to work for what we want to do, you know. I love how when you're on a roll, your speech gets so fast. Sorry. And no, 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 it's, it's literally, you know, your mind is going 10 to the dozen. The words, you're tripping over them to kind of get get them all up because it, there's so much to say and so much to do and so much to happen and everything. And uh, that's all so thrilling and so exciting. Is, is cooking what you do to wind down? Did you take up things like sea swimming? Or, well, well, I know, I know like for most of the thing, I couldn't, like for most of the time, I couldn't leave the city, like, you know? Exactly. Um, so, stuck, so um, like, yeah. But I, like, I mean, I've always cooked, but cooking became much more of a thing because it was the only thing to do like that. I suppose, yeah, my mind does race and does, you know, and that's why it's such fun in a room making stuff together. And that was why it was so sad to not exercise any of that mm. for such a long time. Like, to, you know, um, and like I said, I kind of really feel for a lot of people who are still in that position, who haven't had the chance yet to go back to the thing they're doing, like, which is that, you know. Well, one of the things that prompted this conversation was the lullaby for a city. And I think in, in very many real terms, there are still a lot of people who are almost in cry suspension, yeah. you know, and, and waiting for life to kick off. And even this past week, nationally, the conversation has been happening about what can and can't happen, which festivals may or may not go ahead. And that piece of music is something I think that I, I said earlier on, we need to deal with the trauma. I do think there is a kind of a, a trauma of what people have lost, who people have lost, what mm. people have lost. And we can't, you know, just switch off COVID and go, okay, life is back to normal. And here we are. So I think this piece of music is something that has, well, it was inspired by and created at a very specific time. It has a longevity into the future for dealing with those emotions. Emotions are timeless. And we, yeah. we all know, you know, you can carry emotions from childhood right through to the end of your days. So it is a piece of music that keep people can return to or experience those emotions again in different contexts, yeah. internationally or through time. So what is the course of life now for this piece of music? Is it available for people to listen to? so we like we got to make a really beautiful recording of it which mm. I'm very proud of um, which um, it was Paul Ash Brown who's an amazing sound uh, sound engineer um, made the recording and like the playing on it is really gorgeous and it was, but he captured the thing it's also because we recorded it in um, the community centre there on um, just off South Terrace there um, and there's the sound of 
children playing in the background um, at the start of the track and you know that just was the sound of where we were as we're recording it so all of that feels really kind of lovely to me um and so it exists on the website of the Midsummer Festival. There's a link and it's on YouTube. Um, there's a link on my website as well. On the in the you know um, like people can, can just watch it and it's a beautiful like you know I'd say stick on the old headphones there and um, you can look at the photos of it and you know but just listen to it and like people can have it basically you know it was one of those lovely things where because of the fact that um, it was the business to arts grant that allowed the actual performance um, to happen. And it was the, the Midsummer then kind of came in and kind of commissioned it. Um, so it kind of is paid for. So it's a gift. So people can like have it and listen to it. And, you know, um, yeah. What a gift. Tell me, are you writing anything new now? I am writing music for the for Aideen's play for Heart of a Dog, um, um, which is quite fun because it's literally all the, it, that play is about all of the world and what does it mean to be human and all of those kind of things. So there's um, a lot of fun music and I'm, I'm, I'm co-writing music with Peter Power um, on it, which is um, lots of fun because we're two very different kinds of artists and work, you know, so that's kind of cool and fun. Um, and then I'm doing, yeah, I'm writing a, the start of a couple of projects that I don't really know what they are yet. Um, but like that will get paused now for a month while we or a month and a month and a half while we go into um into rehearsals and I'll kinda of come back to that in October and there's so it's good to know that I'm coming back to work at that point that I've got to do a couple of those kind of things and write those things. Um, so much, John. So yeah, much. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Like I mean I and after I feel so lucky. Like after the last year and a half, like I I mean I never took it for granted anyway, but like Jesus, it's like, um, yeah, I feel so lucky to be able to make stuff and to feel useful again, like in some sort of way, like, you know, and, um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thanks, John.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.